0: When the Canadian Psychological Association held our annual convention this year in Calgary, we sold orange t-shirts designed by Indigenous artist Betty Albert. Now, Check out our earlier episode where we interviewed Betty about Indigenous art and Every Child Matters. And the proceeds from the sales of those shirts were donated to the Legacy of Hope Foundation, an Indigenous-run charity dedicated to educating all of us about residential schools, the 60s scoop, and all the other terrible things uh, that are part of Canadian history. So today, we're going to talk to them about those very things. My name is Eric Bowman I'm the communications person at the CPA, and this is Mindful. Joining us for this special one-off podcast episode today to mark the National Day of Truth and Reconciliation here in Canada is the president of the Legacy of Hope Foundation.
1: My name is Adam North Pagan, and I am um, from the, I'm Blackfoot from, uh, the Begunny First Nation in Southern Alberta, and I am the uh, president of the Legacy of Hope Foundation. And the Legacy of Hope
0: Foundation, that's where we have directed our uh, charitable contributions from the sale of orange t-shirts at our convention this year. Uh, and our Indigenous People section suggested you guys as the charity because you are run in uh, by Indigenous people. Uh, is that... Part of the goal of the Legacy of Hope is to be run entirely by uh, Indigenous people in educating Canadians and and others about uh,
1: the sort of troubled history of Canada. Yeah, you know what? I'll give you a little bit of background of the Legacy of Hope Foundation. Uh, The Legacy of Hope Foundation, we are a nationally led, charitable Indigenous organization uh, with a mandate to... uh, promote uh, education and awareness with mainstream Canadians on the uh, colonialism and oppressive policy, government policies that were imposed on the Indigenous peoples uh, since time and immoral. Um, you know, so it involves the uh, the residential schools, the 60s school, day schools, uh, missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls, uh, the poor sterilization of our women at the hospitals. Um, you know, so we've been. Uh, We've been uh, operating probably for the last, uh, you know, 20 plus years and uh, our our board are all uh, indigenous, you know, uh, Métis, Inuit, uh, First Nation, and as well as our staff are all, uh, you know, indigenous as well. So we're very, very proud of our track record of what we've been doing thus far, because uh, it's really important that uh, Canadians understand the true history of uh, Canada, you know, and, uh, you know, and and that's that's a part of uh, you know educating and creating awareness to uh, influence uh, you know those uh, racist views that uh, you know that uh, that people see us
0: right absolutely and I mean over the years right I remember taking high school history and we learned the history of Canada but we learned something that's entirely different from what really happened right I mean you know we did all kinds of indigenous uh like i don't know why what do you call them like little session, right like we would learn about but we learned about birch bark canoes and we would learn about you know that the indigenous people used every part of the animal but we certainly didn't learn what we and our government did over the course of centuries to indigenous people and now i think the rest of us are coming to this reckoning and we're starting to have to really face and face it and pay attention thanks to these discoveries how has that changed the way that the foundation uh, approaches things or has it are you still giving the same message that you were 5 10 15 years
1: ago well what we're seeing is uh, you know uh, <clears throat> the the evolution of uh, of um, of uh, policies and were uh, that, that were uh, imposed on our communities What we're seeing is that, uh, you know, um, things evolve, right? And, um, you know, uh, I think uh, probably in the uh, early 1990s when uh, the former chief of the Nationalist, the Assembly of First Nations, Phil Fontaine, he started to talk about residential schools and him as a survivor. And uh, he started to talk about uh, how it really, really affected him as a little boy growing up. And uh, that really transpired into uh, the Canadian government uh, under former pr- uh, Prime Minister Stephen Harper doing an apology at the House of Commons, probably in about 2006. And then there was compensation payments that were made to residential school survivors, uh, you know, for the harms that the residential schools, uh, you know, uh, created, and um, you know everything from. Uh, you know, uh, loss of culture, loss of language, uh, the abuses that the survivors uh, experienced in the residential schools, you know, uh, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, and sexual abuse, um, student-on-student abuse. And, um, you know, so uh, survivors of residential school were rightfully uh, compensated for those harms. And then, uh, you know, that triggered into uh, the Canadian government, uh in, uh, implementing the uh, Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And uh, what had happened during that period was uh, the uh, there was national gatherings that were held right across Canada, uh, um, you know, in Toronto, Montreal, uh, Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, Winnipeg, where residential school survivors were brought together to uh, share their horrific stories, you know, in uh, national gatherings. And, um, you know, when that was all going on, um, the findings of those of those, uh, of those uh, national gatherings, it was uh, put into a report, and uh, that report was tabled and presented to the Canadian government probably about ten years ago. Uh, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, and out of that report came ninety-four calls to action um, to improve the uh, you know the lives of the Indigenous people, and um, you know so. Um, I, you know, it, it's really sad that uh, Canadian government, you know, really goes, um, you know, and, and likes to, they, they like to express on everything that they're doing to address the 94 calls to action. But there's a lot of work that needs to be done. You know, we're probably of the opinion that maybe, uh, you know, seven or eight, maybe nine of those recommendations have been uh, implemented. So we do have a lot of work to do. And uh, most recently, uh, you know, this past year, you um, know I guess over the course of the past couple of years um, you know the unmarked graves of uh, you know have been uh, discovered at residential schools across Canada and uh, that you know the first one was in Kamloops Um, you know there is I think 250 unmarked graves at that residential school and then Cowessess First Nation in uh, Saskatchewan I think there was over 700 you know unmarked graves that were uh, discovered and what we're seeing is that, uh, you know, right across Canada, those numbers are continuing to grow, um, because other residential schools across Canada are, um, you know, coming with uh, coming up with numbers of their unmarked graves that they're finding at their residential schools. So that's an ongoing trend that's going to continue for quite some time, you know. And uh, it's really an atrocity that uh, something like this happened in our own backyard in, in Canada. And, uh, you know, and and then also to, uh, you know, this past year we had the uh, Pope that came to uh, Canada, you know, to uh, do a, somewhat of an apology to the residential school survivors in uh, In Canada and he visited uh, Edmonton, Musquegee First Nation, uh, Lac-Saint-Anne and then he went on to Quebec City and then up to Nunavut and uh, you know at the end of the day you know um, it it was really really troubling to see that the uh, Pope you know issued an apology on behalf of uh, you know some of those Catholic priests but he did not make an apology on behalf of the institution and the indigenous the indigenous people in Canada, we are actually calling on the Pope to um, retract the uh, doctrine of discovery, and that never happened as well. Um, you know, he didn't mention that as well. And then uh, also, um, you know, the artifacts that are housed at the Vatican in Rome, uh, we are looking uh, for some kind of comment from the Pope that uh, those artifacts would be repatriated back to Canada and uh, brought back to uh, those Indigenous communities in Canada where they rightfully belong. So he never mentioned anything of that. So his trip that came, you know, the the Pope's visit to Canada was very, very fell fell well short of uh, the expectations of the Indigenous people. So when the Pope left uh, Canada and returned back to uh, the Vatican, you know, one thing that it, it, it kind of made me feel was, you know what, we still have a lot, a lot of work to do you know, a lot of work, you know, uh, the Catholic Church is still holding, uh, you know, uh, school records of residential school survivors, as well as the Canadian government. And, you know, we're calling on on the Catholic Church, as well as the Canadian government to release, you know, those uh, those those records, you know, of survivors, um, especially those ones that uh, never made it home, you know, and, and it's really, really sad and about, uh, you know, what has happened in, in our country that we call uh, Canada. I think, it's, uh, I think it's important
0: what you said about, you know, the, the apology that he offered on behalf of the individual priests who did this, but not on behalf of the institution, right? Because so much of this is institutional, right? It's not just the Catholic Church. It's not just the government. It's not just the education system. It's all of it working together that created this and then sort of buried it for years so that none of us re- learned about it in school. It never became really part of, canadian history in the way that it is now right that that we're getting to and so i guess like you know i, I think a lot of us didn't realize i i never realized until much more recently that residential schools still existed when i was going to school mm-hmm. That they had not gone away that the 60s scoop carried on into the 80s it was happening when i was alive it was still going yeah. on right and uh so now we're learning about these things, but it's the institutions and the, the way that they frame this conversation that I think perpetuates it as we go forward and, you know, makes it that much more difficult to really come to the truth and to reconcile uh, mm-hmm. over the years. So, you know, I, I'm wondering if you can tell me a little bit about that, uh, about where we are today. Right. And how much further we had to go. Like you said, like eight or seven or eight of the recommendations from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission have been implemented. That leaves us with 88 or 89 of them to still go. You know, where are we and, and how do regular people uh, push us all forward uh, as Canadians? Right. Somebody listening to this who is learning about it is now fully aware of what atrocities Canada has committed in the past. What can that person do in order to push this conversation forward and to, and to bring us into a
1: better place? Yeah, you know what? Uh, first of all, I just want to put out a disclaimer is that uh, I'm not a residential school survivor. I never went to residential school, but my parents did go through residential school. So I'm a product of the residential school. And uh, what had happened is uh, you know the Canadian government. Um, you know because the residential schools started to close their open their doors in the late 1800s. You know, um, you know uh, as a directive from um, you know uh, the Prime Minister Sir John A. Macdonald. You know, and you know he created those schools uh, in reference to uh, the Indigenous people being savages. You know, and and wanting to uh, you know to assimilate us into uh, you know what what the settlers were doing to come over in Canada. He wanted us to become like that. And we had a, prior to, uh, you know, uh, Confederation, you know, the indigenous people had a very, very uh, humble and very, very contrite and very peaceful, um, you know, way of life, how we used to live. And that was all interrupted, you know, when they brought in the residential schools. And I believe, and the, the last residential school actually closed in 1996. But they started to close their doors, you know, probably from the 1960s, eight, uh, 1970s, 80s. And like I said, the last residential school closed in 96. So, um, you know what, the Canadian government, uh, you know, uh, knew that there was going to be there, the era of residential schools was going to come to a close. You know, sooner or later, it was going to come to a close and the residential schools would start to close their doors. So the Canadian government needed to develop another government. Uh, policy that would continue the assimilation of uh, the Indigenous people and you know in 1951 the uh, Canadian government amended the Indian Act to offload the responsibility of uh, Indigenous child welfare to the provinces with the directive that uh, those jurisdictions were to go out and forcibly remove as many of those Indigenous children and take them away from their communities and put them in non-indigenous foster homes and adoptions and that was uh, referred to as the 60 scoop so i'm a 60 scoop survivor i was a part of the 60 scoop and uh, i was displaced and put in numerous non-indigenous foster homes and children shelters uh, you know, right throughout my uh, entire childhood until I aged out. And, uh, you know, it was a very, very troubling time for me. eh? And, um, you know, because, you know, that loss of culture, identity, language, loss of family, not knowing who my parents were, who my grandparents were, you know, uh, not even knowing where my community was, you know, as a little boy, you know, uh, that was really, really uh, detrimental to, uh, you know, to, to, to myself growing up and uh you know as a as an eight nine year old boy i remember feeling so lost that uh you know i i i actually you know thought about suicide i thought about you know wanting to take my own life you know because of because of the trauma that i had faced and uh it was a very very tough tough journey that uh you know that i was on but at the end of the day you know um you know after uh, going down a road of uh you know heavy heavy drinking. You know, day in, day out for 15, 20 years of my life, you know, uh, I made the decision that something needed to change. And, uh, you know, so I was very active in the province of Alberta to move reconciliation forward for the 60 scoop survivors that resulted in a very historic apology from the Alberta government on May 28th, 2018. Um, at the Alberta legislature, from uh, former premier uh, Rachel Notley to all survivors of the 60s group so it was a very very historic day but at the end of the day you know um, um, you know the the legacy Pope foundation you know the work that we have done right across Canada you know right from uh, Victoria BC all the way to St John's Newfoundland all the way up to uh, you know Yellowknife and Nunavut is um, you know we've been very very active in creating you know, educational materials, uh, such as, uh, you know, exhibits, you know, on each of the atrocities of, uh, you know, of, uh, of what had happened to us. So we have probably, uh, you know, 25 plus exhibits on the residential school, the missing and murdered indigenous women and girls, the 60 scoop, um, and, and day school, you know, so, uh, Our work that we do at the Legacy of Hope is very, very important. And I think it's very, very important for all Canadians because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, if you go to any of the inner cities, you know, in the big cities like Vancouver, Montreal, Toronto, Ottawa, Vancouver, Winnipeg, Calgary, Edmonton. If you go to the inner cities, you see our people there Mm -hmm. and you see our people that are suffering with homelessness, addictions, alcoholism, drug abuse. Um, you know, and, uh, and poverty. And, you know, and, and what happens is that, uh, you know, when our mainstream uh, settlers and Canadians go through the inner cities and they see our people, they're very, very quick to judge, judge our people and, uh, you know, and refer to, uh, oh, just another drunken Indian bum. But you know what? What we're trying to do is to educate people so that, you know, they can look at us when they see that with a lot more empathy and understanding. And maybe, you know, because when I see our people like that in the inner cities, my first thought is, you know what, maybe that person is a residential school survivor. Maybe that person is a survivor of the 60s scoop. Maybe that person has been impacted by the missing and murdered indigenous women and girls. Maybe they're a day school survivor. That's why they are the way that they are. It's not that we're bad people. It's just that we are people that have suffered oppression, you know, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. In uh, in Canada, you know. So if we can influence, you know, um, you know, the average Joe, that uh, you know, and and create a, a, a an understanding of more empathy and understanding, you know, it's our hope that the Legacy Hope Foundation that we will, you know, pr- uh, be able to impact those unhealthy attitudes that feel racism towards our people.
0: Yeah, I I think your story really sort of encapsulates a lot of this too, right? When we talk about intergenerational trauma and we talk about the you know, effects that were still being felt today, right? Your parents survive res- residential school, they get taken away from their families and placed in a residential school. The notion from the government is that somehow that's going to turn them into European type people. And even though they go through that school, you still get taken away from them in the 60s scoop, right? Mm-hmm and placed into foster care i work with a homeless uh, an organization that helps homeless youth here in ottawa and we see way more indigenous people than the average population right indigenous people are very much overrepresented and the number one thing that predicts whether somebody is going to end up homeless especially as a young person is the foster care system
1: mm-hmm. right
0: if you are In a foster care system, you are much, much more likely to, when you age out of that system, end up homeless because there's nothing, no support for you after that, right? You're kind of out there on your own. And it's not a great uh, life bouncing from one home to another. And we've been doing this for so, so long. So I think that's a sort of a, I, I think maybe that's a good example for people to think of, right? That this started presumably before your parents as well right your grandparents had to deal with a lot of this and all this and through the generations we're
1: not past it yet Mm -hmm. that's correct yeah and you know what is uh one thing that's really really uh you know paternal like the indigenous people in Canada we have a very paternalistic relationship with the government of Canada and uh you know what that needs to change that definitely needs to change because we are looking at becoming equal partners to Canada, and uh, the way that the relationship is right now very paternalistic. Because when uh, you know when treaties started to get signed, uh, what was implemented was the Indian Act, and the Indian Act is uh, you know a government of Canada policy that governs the uh, you know the, the First Peoples right across Canada, and it's you know it's very paternalistic. You know uh you know our, our people are not really allowed to uh, develop programs and uh, set goals for themselves about what they think is in the best interest to move their community forward. It's what the ca- Canadian government thinks you know that should move our 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 our, 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 our things forward and you often hear about uh, you know um, you know um, uh, some of our remote communities still don't have clean clean drinking water you know and right. and that is a human right that all Canadians should be able to go to the tap, turn it on and be able to freely drink clean drinking water. And some of our remote communities, you know, we still do do not have that. So, you know what, there's just so much work that needs to be done to move reconciliation forward and uh, Legacy Folk Foundation, you know, we've been doing everything that we can, you know, to to, to address some of those and and work with our survivors and, and provide as much support as we can. At the same time, educating mainstream Canadians. And you know what? September 30th is coming up tomorrow. Well, today, you know, uh, right. when when you post this, you know, and uh, that is one of the calls to action. You know, one of those 94 calls to action was to designate one day as, uh, you know, uh, uh, Truth and Reconciliation Day. And I think that that's a good thing, you know, because it's really, really opened the eyes to a lot of Canadians about, you know what? What really happened with us? You know, and it's really, really, you know, created an opportunity to really, um, you know, uh, tell people, you know, that we we have been suffering, and and this is kind of what, what has happened to us. Eh? So we're yeah, we, you know, and and uh, I think. Uh, Canadian government is kind of trying to uh, institute it as as a staff holiday, you know, but Mm -hmm. uh, there's some provincial governments that are not there yet, you know, so there is a lot of work that needs to be done. No doubt. And I think,
0: you know, what you said about a paternalistic relationship really strikes me as being very accurate, right? And it also strikes me as being something that happens with any institution, right? Once an institution grows, becomes really big, they sort of have a paternalistic relationship with anybody that, you know, that comes into contact with that institution. It's something we're dealing with in psychology right now, right? It comes okay. from a European tradition. It has a lot of uh, colonialism built into uh, the whole institution of psychology and now trying to work with indigenous communities rather than working on Indigenous communities is something that psychology as a whole has to come to grips with. Indigenous ways of knowing have to be incorporated into the work that psychologists do rather than having psychologists come in and sort of, you know, uh, impose what they've learned in school onto an Indigenous community, right? And so that spirit of reconciliation is something that, you know, a lot of our members are dealing with right now
1: mm mm-hmm. and you know what I think in the uh, in the clinical field, whether it's uh you know psychologists, psychiatrists, you know uh, therapists, you know um there is a need for those um, people in the helping profession to become more aware of uh you know of what we had to endure in our lifetime because it'll uh you know it'll make them more effective you know uh service providers for our people if they have a better understanding of uh you know of, of what we went through you know so um you know because you know what this problem can't be medicated through uh you know um you know um uh what what is it uh, like um uh, um you know to, like you can't really medicate the problem it has to be done in a very holistic manner you know right. that you know that encompasses uh you know that that that's what true therapy is, eh? You know, is uh, being able to uh, really understand the full detail, so that when Indigenous clients walk through the door, you know, um, those those help those workers in the helping profession can have a little bit more understanding, and a little bit more sim, uh, you know, of what we what we went through.
0: No doubt. And some of the horror stories that we're still hearing today are the treatment of indigenous people in hospitals and in, uh, you know, doctor's offices, healthcare settings, where a lot of myths seem to still persist, regardless of, you know, how much education we're trying to push out there. Right. And uh, I, and so it, I think that's, it's great what you guys are doing, right? Trying to educate people. And, I wonder if you target specific uh groups like that, you know, do you target doctors, psychologists, police officers uh to try to teach them or uh you know, do you sort of present it and hope that they come to your presentation
1: well, you know what we 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 do target uh specific uh um you know uh professionalism professional people out there, you know such as the ones in the healthcare industry. Uh, the ones that are working in the uh, mental health, as well as uh, the policing agencies, you know, right across Canada, and also, uh, you know, the the federal, uh, you know, um, uh, prison system as well, because the Indigenous people are are overrepresented within the, uh, you know, with within the prison system as well, you know. So, um, you know, we we always always make our our curricula and our exhibits available to anyone um, by request. All they have to do is just phone our office and uh, speak to our executive director and uh, our uh, exhibits manager to set up, uh, you know, uh, a, a relationship where we can actually ship out those, uh, you know, those resources out to those respective communities, you know, as, a, as an opportunity to, uh, you know, to educate doctors, lawyers, teachers you know uh prison guards you know healthcare professionals you know so um you know we we do target specific industries but at the same time you know uh we make it available to uh you know all Canadians yeah uh you can uh actually uh email our executive director and uh her uh her email is uh edwards at legacyofhope.ca Okay, perfect. I'll put that into the
0: show notes as well. So, where do you where do you see Legacy of Hope going from here? Uh, right, there's a bigger national conversation now than when you guys started, but there's so much more conversation to be had. Uh, what is the direction Legacy of Hope is going to take in order to bring more awareness to Canadians, which is still
1: very, very much needed? Well, you know what we're we're uh, we're going to be. Uh... You know, uh, with September 30th come uh, right around the corner here, uh, that's why I'm in Ottawa. It's the second year that uh, September 30th has been declared by the Canadian government as uh, Orange Shirt Day, right? right. And um, so one of the projects that we're working on is actually developing an exhibit that specifically talks on why we have Orange Shirt Day. You know, and uh, we're going to be working on developing that exhibit, you know, for the next uh, 12 months. And uh, we're targeting that uh, next September 30th, next year, that we'll be able to unveil that. As well, uh, we're uh, launching a, a portal for uh, tomorrow, September 30th, uh, Legacy Pope Foundation. We're launching a portal that, uh, that we developed. That will be um, the residential that any survivors, you know, within the indigenous community across Canada will be able to access, as you know, when they're looking for additional supports, you know, for uh, counseling supports, you know, uh, elders, you know, uh, talking circles, sharing circles, resources. So we're really, really excited about uh, being able to launch that uh, that portal tomorrow. Um, you know, and like I said, that you know. As, as this evolves, you know, um, uh, there's always things that do come up. And one thing that we haven't really addressed um, that we're working towards, you know, in the next couple of years is, you know, uh, starting that conversation about, uh, you know, the poor sterilization of, uh, you know, our women that happen at the hospitals, right? Where their their right to give birth was taken away from them you know and that's a that's a travesty that should have never 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 happened in Canada so we're going to be working at developing uh, resources you know to to address you know some of those discussions and and i think that uh, you know w- with the unmarked graves you know that just happened as well you know there there's going to be a need to develop resources to address you know the the outcomes of how that's really impacted and re-triggered and traumatized our survivors, you know, uh, each time that there's, uh, you know, on the national news where there's another residential school that has found, you know, X number of uh, unmarked graves, it re-triggers a lot of our survivors across Canada, and it's very, very, very tough on them, eh? So we need to be able to develop those resources that address that as well. No doubt. So people listening now who,
0: you know, have been traumatized by this can go to that portal today and uh, check it out at legacyofhope.ca. For other people around Canada, uh, what are some of the things that they can do today in order to mark Truth and Reconciliation Day?
1: You know what? I think the biggest thing is wearing an orange shirt, you know, wearing an orange shirt, because the reason that we wear an orange shirt, you know, on September 30th, is as in memory of those residential school survivors that did not come home and you know the history of the of the orange shirt is uh you know we had a residential school survivor in the 1960s um phyllis i think her name was phyllis webstad and um you know she went to residential school and uh you know and and she and her all of her clothes were taken including her orange shirt was taken and uh, that orange t-shirt was uh, graciously given to her by her grandmother, you know, and it was taken away from her. And so the, you know, it really symbolized to residential school survivors that, uh, you know, we didn't matter, but we do matter. Right. So I think the best, I think the best way that, uh, you know, the uh, mainstream Canadians can really, um, you know, take notice of September thirtieth is by wearing an orange shirt and taking that as an opportunity to learn a little bit more about the true history of Canada.
0: And it is a uh, much, <laughs> much more horrific history than I think most of us once realized and it's time that we do realize that. So thank you for the work that you're doing uh, to bring attention to that and to the Legacy of Hope Foundation for the work uh, that all of you guys are doing just bringing that awareness to Canadians, uh, I think it's really great what you guys are doing. And,
1: and you know what, we also very much, uh, you know, very much appreciate the support of, uh, you know, of your organization as well. You know, the psychologists and stuff like that. You know, we're very, very grateful for the support that has come in from you guys, because it allows the Legacy Hope Foundation to continue to be proactive in creating those, uh, you know, uh, those resources. Uh, uh, to continue to educate mainstream Canadians. So, thank you. Well, thank
0: you, and thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Thanks to Adam North Pagan for joining us today, to the Legacy of Hope Foundation for continuing to educate Canadians about our difficult history, and to you for listening to today's special one off episode to mark the National Day of Truth and Reconciliation. As always, Mindful is written, hosted, produced, edited, and published by me, Eric Bullman. Our theme music is Avenues by David Taylor.